We have so many letters that have come in. I think we're going to start the show off with uh, maybe five or six. Do we have time for that? No. We don't. My producers tell me we have time for how many? One. Okay. We'll do one. One letter. Uh, let me pick it here from the bunch. Uh, all right. This is. I'm choosing this one because it came in uh, actually in our mailbox in real life, not our digital mailbox. So here we go. Uh, it says, this is from David from New York. He writes, hey, Alex, really love the show, and you get your guests to talk about really interesting stuff. Oh, thank you, David. Uh, he goes on to write, love the conversations with musicians, but I'll bet you'd have a great dialogue with sports stars, too. What are the chances you can sit down with Bryce Harper or Mookie Betts or the Williams sisters? Keep up the great work. Oh, David, thank you for a very kind letter. I don't know the chances of getting... Uh, Bryce Harper or Mookie Betts or the Williams sisters on the show. Uh, but we'd love, of course, to talk to them. I will say, it's funny you mentioned the Williams sisters. And I'll tell you why in a second. I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Four walls, two hands, and one sad heart don't make a man. Company. Well, that's all she left me. My friends say I should find a new direction and forget these blues. But I don't even have to choose. Tears only run one. of my guests today on the program, the Williams Brothers. Let me tell you a little bit about the Williams Brothers. The Williams Brothers come from a rich musical lineage that goes all the way back to the late 30s when the original Williams Brothers, Andy, Dick, Bob, and Don, started their singing quartet that took them all the way from their Iowa roots to sun-kissed Los Angeles where suddenly they found themselves under contract with MGM Films. Now, the second iteration of the Williams Brothers featured Don's sons, Andrew and David, who put out two albums in 1973. As teen idols, they had a hit with What's Your Name, and they even made an appearance on The Partridge Family. They resurfaced again in the late 80s, putting out a trio of fabulous albums for Warner Brothers, their last being 1993's Harmony Hotel. Along the way, they backed up Brian Setzer, Joe Ely, and the Cruzados. They actually sang backup on the Plimsolls A Million Miles Away, and they were part of T-Bone Burnett's band for a tour of Europe. They had a hit with Can't Cry Enough in 92, appeared as an Everly Brothers duo in Allison Andrews' Grace of My Heart film, and after that, well, after that, they stepped away and lived their lives. 28 years later, they're back with Memories to Burn. This album gets done in 30 minutes what most bands try to do their entire careers. The harmonies here are lustrous and elegant, and the phrasing is delivered with finesse and grace. Featuring covers by Robbie Fulks and Iris Dement, and with a band that features our pal Marvin Etzioni, Memories to Burn is one of 2022's very best. Good to have these guys back, and good to chat with them. So here you go, my conversation with Andrew and David Williams, right here 
on Stereo Embers, the podcast. cool you guys are back but my feeling has always been an artist as an artist did you actually feel you were gone oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i think that you know we we made a uh, uh a decision to to sort of split in the sort of right after we had recorded this record or maybe a year after the the record that's just coming out memories to burn um and we had just sort of it had sort of run its course and and David went on to a designing career. I went on to a music production career. And, uh, you know, we haven't really sort of uh, entertained the entertaining world, uh, you know. So we kind of are back, I guess, in a way with this record. Right, David? Yeah, you know, our whole lives, um, we had been together being twins and growing up in a showbiz family and going into show business so early. And we did, that, that was kind of our identity. And um, when uh, uh, our Warner Brothers deal and our publishing deal um, ended in the, uh, the mid nineties, uh, Andy especially wanted to, to go out on his own and um, and it was really good for us because we had just been so, uh, you know, not having our own thing for our whole lives. So it was a, it was a freedom that was great to experience and for us to develop our, you know, different worlds, which we've done. Was it, was it a difficult decision to sort of step away and as as this unit? It was yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think it was for me too. I was more. Uh, uh, this is Andrew. Um, just more of the uh, maybe the instigator of the split, um, but it was still difficult for me. And uh, you know, as David said, it it had been. You know, we were basically sort of working from age 12 on and we were I guess we were in our mid-30s then that we split so it had been quite a while that we had been you know waking up every morning and, and going to work together in, in a sense so yeah it was it was both difficult and liberating yeah and the in terms of the decision to put it all but get the band back together again I mean you guys are brothers so it wasn't like <laughs> you, you knew where to find each other um yeah but in terms of the decision to return to the ring, as it were, um, was that carefully considered? Did it kind of come across very organically or? Well, um, our, um, uh, my co-writer, Marvin Etzioni, who, who we'd worked with for years, who uh, we wrote a lot of songs with. I wrote the song Can't Cry Hard Enough with him. And uh, he, um, it was really his idea to put to this album together. Um, we had run across some tracks that we'd forgot about. And uh, 
um, Andrew went into his storage room and found all these old tapes and uh, we listened to them all with Marvin and uh, we, we called the, the songs on this album from, from those sessions that we did in the mid nineties um, with uh, Marvin on bass, Andrew on guitar, uh, Greg Lease on pedal steel and Don Heffington on drums. We had recorded this, this set of country tunes at that time. And uh, it was a time when we were uh, gearing up to do a, a film called Grace of My Heart, where we played a fictionalized version of the Everly Brothers. And uh, it was an Alison Anders movie. It was a really good film, actually. And um, uh, so we were going back to our Everly roots and uh, uh, we gathered these songs, uh, most of which are, are on this album. I think, I, I think we, we used all of them, didn't we, Andrew? Yeah, there was one that we didn't use, uh, but, but, but yeah, we were, we, pretty much what we recorded in those two days. We, we did the record live in a couple of days, very off the cuff. And uh, yeah, we used everything we did in those couple of days uh yeah so it was really like a breath of fresh air the the record because it felt so uh in the spirit in which it was done which was very much uh kind of off the cuff and just it was for the love of it uh, i don't think that we 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 weren't consciously making an album we were just recording a bunch of songs we were thinking maybe we would go in this direction uh, and, and, you know, go in the studio and do what we'd always done, which was get a big budget and, or have a, any kind of budget, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and sort of perfect these things. So, so this was all done for, you know, 49 cents in my studio with, with mics that I set up and it just happened to all work out, um, that the mics were in the right place that we captured the live takes and you know it was a it was a I think it was kind of a just a release for us to 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 uh to just explore this this type of singing that we'd are always done early on it was sort of our the way we learned how to sing we're always singing in the, on this record we're always singing uh, that David's singing the root note and I'm singing the sort of third above and in parallel, uh, just like the Everleys or the Leuvens or uh, who else, John and Paul, you know, when, on some of their early songs, Beatles songs. And so it was very inspiring for us to do it. So on that note, from a, a, non, a musical question from a non-musical person, with Different and Tilbrook from Squeeze, did they do a similar thing or, or were they a little bit different? I think they did. I think that, um, uh Glenn Tilburg, I, I believe, did most of the lead vocals. I, I remember Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds did uh from Rockpile, they sort of did a group of of Everly's type songs, I believe, or maybe it was just a single on their uh on their record. But yeah, it it I mean I'm sure that all of the people that we have mentioned uh 
go back to be inspired by that that amazing period of time when the Everly's made records. Yeah. So magical, those records were just incredible with Chet Atkins playing guitar and you know, those arrangements were were very um sort of kind of strangely futuristic, but in this fifties way, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say that there's something about those that they almost they almost evade the timeline because they're sort of yeah. retro future at the same time. Right, right. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was just it was one of those divine sort of combinations of people and times and um I think Chet Atkins was just such a brought so much to the table. Um and uh yeah it, you know I mean Elvis Presley was happening at the same time and there it was just the birth of of so much great music to come really to to uh I mean, there's Buddy Holly and, you know, all those guys sort of set the table for, for what was to come. David, when you were not in the game, when you were doing your design business, were you playing music? Were you thinking about music? Was music a part of your everyday life? Not every day, but I always had a piano and a guitar. And um, yeah, it's one of, uh, it, it's always been a release for me to sit at the piano and sing songs that I love or write new ones. So I've all through the years, I've, I've, I've kept that up. And uh, um, I've written a, a few songs along the way with Marvin Etzioni. And, um, but yeah, it's not, it's not, it wasn't the focus of my life anymore. Yeah. When you guys would get together for holidays or whatever, would you play a couple songs together and go, oh, we still got it. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, <laughs> well, no, I mean, no. you came out, you came over the other day um, and you, you were learning a song and, you know, you just asked for my opinion and my help. And I just immediately just sort of stepped into that role of singing harmony. Yeah. Um, so there is, you know, when we're in the room together and we we make music which we've done a few times, David, come on, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really, it, it, it's, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's nice not having the pressure of a career uh, in the music business and just doing it for fun. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, it's in our bones. Music is in our bones. It was always, it was always in our house. Our father was a singer with his brothers and, um it's it's very much second nature to all of us so it really comes back quite easily you you, you were able to lock back in and, and with the williams yeah. brothers sound just was there yeah i think so i think you know apparently my father taught my brother and i how to sing when we were in the crib so um there's uh it's just so easy for us to do together uh and it's it's it is it is kind of warm it, it gives i don't know it gives, it still gives me a good feeling but i you know i just i think that we had our time and this is this particular project was was just uh i think 
uh, sort of a moment to sort of go into go down one path and make a real sort of clear statement within within this sort of genre that we had picked, which was very natural. Can you talk a bit about Marvin? I've had him on the show, and I, you know, he's just he's just a typhoon of of great energy. Um, yeah, he seems to be sort of the connective tissue um, in this mm. project. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about about him as a musician and also as just a human being, as just sort of an, an influential presence? Because he seems to have such enthusiasm for music. I mean, he's incredible. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's always been a really, really solid songwriter. And um, he is one of those types of people that is a, a glue between many other people. So he he creates opportunities for people to get together and play music. I think what he's doing now with his label, uh, Restless, uh, no, Regional Records, I always say Restless, it's Regional Records. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, it's amazing because he is so on top of it and seems to, to know the important things to do and not the sort of frivolous, time-wasting things to do. Um, so I, I kind of call him because he's like a music guy too, which are my favorite sort of music executives historically have been people like Barry Gordy and um, uh, you know, who else? I guess when we were at Warner's, you know, like Lenny Warrenker who would produce records and he was a music executive. Um, and, you know, there's more examples. I can't think of them all right now, but Herb Alpert, you know, um, but he's very, because he's very knowledgeable and he's very, very passionate about what he loves. He's very, he knows a lot about country music. He knows a lot about rock and roll music. He, um, he has that D DIY energy, you know, of sort of punk rock. Um, and uh, he's just an inspiring guy. He's a fun guy that we laugh a lot. And, um, you know, I think there's just kind of a mutual respect. And, you know, we met backstage when we were opening up for Lone Justice. And that was sort of at the peak of their, their popularity in Los Angeles. Before their first record came out, there was just this buildup and this vibe. And, and, you know, the place was going crazy and we just, we somehow got on that bill and we just hit it off backstage. And, you know, Peter Case was another guy who was with the Plimsolls then. And you know, there was just a group of people that we all knew each other. We all supported each other. We all called each up and uh, congratulated each other when we would get a good review and, uh, or, you know, sort of, uh, if we got a bad review, we'd call each other up and say that, you know, that guy didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> it was just, it was great. It was a great time, the eighties and the nineties in LA for music. And he was, he was sort of at the center of a lot of things. For, you mentioned punk rock and I'm curious for both of you um, because you were there when all that stuff was happening, like the germs and all the way up to maybe that sort of like the more cow punky stuff like Lone Justice or Green on Red or the Dream Syndicate. Um, mm -hmm. Did punk rock make any? I know you guys are, you know, rooted in the tradition that you're rooted in, but 
I mean, you were there. Did punk rock yeah. make its way into your into your psyches? Did it have any impression on you at all? Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, I loved the Clash and and I loved X, and um, you know, I even like the Sex Pistols and uh, I I think just peripherally, it it got into some of my songwriting. Um, but it was more something that I enjoyed just to listen to. And, and uh, um, you know, we, we, we weren't, I mean, fashion wise, I got into it too. Um, but yeah, it, 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 that, that's not what we do, but I certainly appreciated it. Was it the, the, the energy, David, that really, that really captured you? Yeah, I also I also just really like the music, like the Clash. I love the songs, and X. I I, lo I love their songs. Um, uh, but yeah, no, the energy, yeah, the energy was great. But it was really the musicality of it that I appreciated. Andrew, how about for you? Were you did punk make it to your radar? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was part of that exciting time. You know, even though. You know, there was all different kinds of punk. There was the punk from from uh, England, and then there was punk from the you know DC and and New York and and LA. So it was like it was more it was more these sort of pockets, and then things would would seep through, you know, um, and they would affect people like the Talking Heads, which was you know so great, and Elvis Costello and. Uh, my wife was in the whole DC scene, so she sort of, you know, uh, in retrospect, I got more into the appreciation of Fugazi and and that stuff. Uh, I mean, actually, we have a whole like big punk rock music uh, vinyl collection. But my, I think my favorite things, I think that for, that Sex Pistols record just sounded so great. It, Chris Thomas's production on that was unbelievable. And, um, but we would, David and I would go see X. Like, once again, I love those songs. I felt, you know, I actually told John Doe how much I loved his songs and the fact that they were so musical and they use like these, you know, they, they'd use like a strange, like a, a major seventh in a punk song and the way X scenes voice uh, and his voice worked together. It's sort of, you couldn't really identify what was going on harmonically, but it worked so great. Um, what else? I mean, we sang on a couple, I mean, we we did backups on a gun club record. I didn't and, know that. that. I had no idea that was really. Yeah. Wow. Well, we, we, we had, um, you know, we also, we, we, I had become friends with Jeff Eirich, who was producing uh, a bunch of, uh, kind of local bands and he brought us in for that and he actually brought us into for the Plimsolls record which was to me was sort of sort of punkish in a in a in an energy way um, you know we sang on uh, a million miles away and I played organ on that uh, track um, and then that that record became such a local big hit in Los Angeles that that opened up sort of Jeff Eirich's uh, uh, um, career as a, as a record producer. And so Jeff brought us into a few records that he did. 
I can't remember all of them now, but I do remember, um, I do remember that uh, Gun Club record. And, uh, and then of uh, what course else? he introduced us to uh, T-Bone Burnett and he, he produced a record for T-Bone. And um, we, we sang and toured um, in America and Europe with T-Bone. So that was... That was great. And T-Bone would let us open up for him on, on some of these dates. And we would do our Everly's thing. You know, yeah. we would sing Everly's stuff and we would sing like Babies in Black, uh, the Beatles song and uh, maybe a few other that were Everly-like. And then we had written that song, She's Got That Look in Her Eyes, which was very Everly's, Everly-esque. Um, so yeah, and you know, T-Bone sort of had that that same energy, that that amazing uh, uh, thread, that historical thread of rock and roll, and uh, um, sort of imparted some of his wisdom and ideas and energy onto us when we worked with him. So we're very, you know, we were very appreciative of of, of his. Uh, Taking, taking us under his wing and going on tour. We actually opened up for X with T-Bone. Remember at the Greek theater, Dave? Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Didn't, um, didn't Jeffrey Lee Pierce, I mean, he seemed like he had a real sense of history about the blues and I think country music as well. Did you interact with him at all? He must've been an interesting character if you did. You know what? I didn't. Um, Kid, Kid Congo was on the session that we were that when we, we came in and did did the background vocals. So I never met Jeffrey, but, um, you know, I heard a lot about him. Peter Case was was a good friend of his. And so Peter would talk about him from time to time, but he's kind of one of those amazing sort of tragic figures, you know, that that came in and burnt out in a, in a, in a giant flame, you know. I got no one by my side I guess I was born in pride da -da -da -da. It's a hard approach what it is I got memories to burn Higher. 
in terms of self-preservation, you must have seen people crashing and burning around you. Were you guys very conscious of taking care of yourselves and, and making sure that you weren't casualties of this time period and just being protective of your of your own mortality? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, <clears throat> yeah, for some reason, um, I never became a drug addict or, uh, I mean, I, I, I took recreational drugs and, and, uh, but I, I didn't have that self-destructive streak. I, I lost many friends and s some family members. And, um, I just, I, I feel lucky in that way that, that, uh, I, I didn't want to destroy myself for some reason. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of great people died that I knew. So it's tough. Yeah. And died young, really. I mean, like That's right. Dar Darby crashed to even Jeffrey was um, at the time I remember thinking, well, Jeffrey was older at the time I was thinking, but he really was like in his mid thirties, I think when he, when he ended up dying. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, we were a, a little bit younger than than everybody uh, at that time. Now we're now we're not, but um, <laughs> uh, but I think you know I was kind of like a wide-eyed kid. You know, I was just excited by the whole thing, and um, I didn't need to get too high too often to to cope or to be excited by what was going on. I was just I think that music was was such a drug for me you know and i was just uh, it was uh so turned on but by, by the music and the la scene and you know it seemed to me like it's had that same extension of the big bang of the 60s which was mm -hmm. really our our first love of being kids and listening to uh there was a radio station called 93 khj that would you know in the like say from 66 or so to to 70 you know just listening to that every day and just the, the amazing music that would come out of that so to me there was a through line you know the to to the excitement of of that you know that new new wave era the punk era whatever you want to call it yeah there was some amazing stuff coming out of there um in the bay area we had our own scene but la was so specific um, oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you guys said you guys. I remember the nuns, right? You guys yeah. had the nuns up there. The nuns. We had the Avengers. Right. Right. And then, um, yeah. you know, later on there was like Wire Train and and um, in the mid '80s and, and bands like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it was just a very fertile period in general. Um, yeah. Which is kind it of so, fun. It was so cool how every city had their thing. You know, every city had their bands um because it was before mtv and or i guess it was right at the beginning of mtv because i remember the go-go's getting on mtv and they they sort of broke the whole thing they became worldwide but before then it would be very sort of regional you know and that's right. so cool yeah there was a remember that magazine that tower records used to give out for free it was called pulse of yeah. course okay so in pulse they used to have this thing where they had New York, Detroit, San Francisco, Los Angeles, um, Austin, and they would they'd have those cities named, and they would explain what was going on in those scenes. You're absolutely right; it was so regional, 
and you knew, yeah. you know, oh, you know, Athens, it was like Love Chapter REM. And you had all these amazing scenes that were sort of out in the, you know, throughout the United States. And it was, yeah. it was kind of cool. It was actually a really cool thing. It was, it was, and it, and it would allow bands to develop, you know, sort of under the radar and then, and then you'd, you, they, they would become sort of kings of their community and then we'd hear about them in, in, in faraway places. So yeah, it was, it was, there was a lot more sort of, you could do your own discovery instead of having something discovered for you and right. Um, yeah, yeah, we, I, I loved it. It was very exciting, and it definitely fed into what we were doing. Um, and uh, yeah, it was great to just be a part of that community in LA. What I love about your your records that came out in that time period is that, just like we were talking about earlier, they don't because a lot of records did. They don't sound like. 1985 or or whatever it was right they don't they don't mm. to me they they also elude the timeline which makes them to in my opinion you know by default timeless because you can't you can't place them chronologically anywhere which i really love so those records still sound as fresh to me um as ever um and i don't you. you know yeah yeah i love them and when you were making them I know this show is all about the future and the, and the present, but I just want to ask you a couple more things about the past. I promise <laughs> we'll move forward. But um, were you aware that in some ways what you were doing at the time was almost out of step, right? Because there wasn't it wasn't like lushly produced with all these splishy, crazy electro sounds. Um, were you aware that like we're sort of existing kind of out of time in some ways? We're not we're not totally in step with what's happening in the zeitgeist at this current moment yeah i think exactly i think that we never thought in those terms we may have we may have been influenced um by um a couple of, of people to try to do that on a couple of songs but but the most for the most part i think that we just uh uh we we did what we loved um and i i don't think that we were we were trying to manipulate something into uh, whatever the moment was, for better or worse. You know, we I think that you can have a lot of success that way, but or maybe you can't. I don't know. They, you know, it's it's always kind of stupid to to chase something. I think I think as an artist, you have to do your your what you do and. Um, uh, I think that uh, that just happened to be what we did. What do you think, David? Yeah, I, I, I mean, our our love musically, our loves musically were the Beatles and um, James Taylor and Elton John and Carol King and Carly Simon, yeah. and then. You know, I mean, singer song with Joni Mitchell, Cat Stevens. Um, those were all influencing what we did, and the those are all timeless artists. Um, so, yeah, it 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 wasn't really about trying to hitch ourselves onto uh, some kind of new new thing it was 
it, it was just what we did. It was just two voices singing together and writing songs about what we've been through. And, um, you know, luckily we didn't have any business people uh, telling us what we should be doing. We were, we were allowed to be free in that way, which was- Yeah, that's kind of unique. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of no, no adult supervision, really. <laughs> maybe maybe later i mean creatively they're they, they they kind of amazingly stayed out of our way it was great it was yeah uh so did you um just out of curiosity did you share the albums with your parents or did you did how would that go i mean i would imagine if um there'd be a lot of support of course but did you did you sort of, did they get what you were, what you were doing? I think that we were kind of breaking out of, of that family thing at that, for that part of our career in the, you know, eighties and early nineties. Um, we had, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we had had like a teenage career um, and our father managed us and we were so integrated in, you know, I mean, we were kids. We were like, you know, from 12 to 15, like for three years, we had had this career that we were so integrated that we felt like we, by the time we got into our, you know, early twenties, um, we really felt like, oh, we want to do it on our own. And we don't, we don't want to um, necessarily listen to what, what anybody has to say. Um, so I think that we sort of, yeah, we uh, broke away from 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 our from our parents during that time. We were living on our own, and they they were always supportive and loved what we did. But it, it, we didn't live in the same house, and and uh, we we had at that point. Um, I think we were living together. Andy and I were living together at that point. And uh, my my mother was in New York and my father was, I don't know where he was at that time, if he was here or whether he had moved to Missouri at that time. But uh, he was yeah. he was in Nashville a lot. Yeah. Because he was he was a music manager. So he um, you know, he was all over the place. But we know we no hard feelings. We loved them, but it was just we 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 did, it wasn't it wasn't like a family kind of let's get in the family van and make music all over the land type situation. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> just out of curiosity, in your own parenting, um, did that change or influence the way that you introduced music to your children? Yeah, I mean, I, I just have a son. David doesn't have any kids. I have a son named Harrison. Um, and, uh, you know, he is amazing musically, but I, I, I've never pushed anything on him. But he has his mother, my wife, also has a just a really high musical IQ, although she's not a musician, but she she is able to remember arrange you know, all kinds of arrangements and you know uh she 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 has an amazing vocabulary of music that she loves as i said she's into the whole punk rock thing but she 
she knows all about 50s music. And so our son was exposed to a lot of music that we loved. And when he was like maybe four or five, he could, he, he used to sit up on our kitchen counter and we had an iPod with some speakers there. He would, he, he was, really was into the Beatles at the time. And we used to play this game where, you know, I would say, I would say something like, all right, here's, here's a Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby. Um, you have to take the last letter and, and tell me another Beatles song. So he would, instead of saying like yesterday with the Y, he'd go your blues, you know, and then he'd go sexy Sadie. And he would, he would go with, you know, the obscure deep cuts at eight, five, at age five. So, and, and now he's, you know, as a teenager, he's he's into music from all over the world from all different times um he plays a lot of like uh interesting japanese pop and he plays brazilian music and uh he's he's really into different languages so he'll sing he'll be like singing in the shower you know in spanish and um you know it just opened up my mind that there's still so much great music out there and um, I love it. You know, I, 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 I did make a conscious effort not to push him into music and not to push him too hard into really sort of doing anything that I wanted him to do. I just wanted him to explore his own, his own sort of uh, dreams and, and, and passions and ideas and but it's, it's, and he sits down at the piano and he's teaching himself. He's been teaching himself songs off of pet sounds, uh, like really interesting chord progressions uh, without taking any piano lessons. So it's just very, and I listen to the way his thought process works as a, as a very organic musician, as, as I'm sitting in the other room and I'm hearing the, the process and it's, it's kind of eerily like my process uh, without showing him anything. So I just wonder if there is stuff, uh, there is floating around in the DNA, you know, and in the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the sort of spiritual DNA too. <laughs> That's yeah, sort of physical. like the, the kind of cosmic collective consciousness of family. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. Yeah, I think there's definitely a that cosmic, cosmic collective consciousness of family, and then of course the greater uh, consciousness of of the times in which we live, and all of the times in which we've lived, I think are cumulative, and they uh, there's so much for kids to build on now, so much more. I mean, they have access to so much information and music uh, that um it's just it's kind of fascinating to 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 be able to observe it with my son well even just for him growing up in a house where there's bad brains albums next to the beatles albums that's a pretty good <laughs> right right yes exactly you know exactly um well just out of curiosity now that you guys are um you know making this music again and do you sort of think you certainly have enough editorial distance now from the band in the older days and the band in 2022 going to 2023. Um, is it 
what's the move? Is it, is it, do you make a plan or, do, or is there a plan or is the best thing not to make a plan? I don't, I don't know, but I'm really thrilled that I'm thrilled to talk to you and I'm thrilled that you're back. And I'm just oh, curious thanks. to know like, what, what does that look like now? What is the, what is the sort of the, the plan for the future for the band? You know, it's so nice not to have a plan. <laughs> and it, it's so, it's so great to just organically see what happens here. And it's been, it's really been, this has been pure joy, I think, for us to kind of work together again in that, you know, the putting together of this record and uh, as far as, you know, picking the, the takes and putting together the artwork, which David and I did and um, just receiving interview requests and see that, the record's getting attention in Europe already, and it just came out a couple of days ago. Um, so really, there there's absolutely no plan. There's just the plan to have fun with it, and I think that that is really the the what's making it sort of um, just kind of this new this new adventure that was very unexpected. We didn't expect any. We didn't expect to do this. We didn't plan to do this. It just happened. Right, David? Yep, we made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you guys ever look at through rock and roll, you think like the Davies Brothers or the Gallaghers or um, the Robinsons from Black Crows? Um, you know, they aren't twins and being twins is one thing, but I imagine you guys when the, the band stopped, you, you were, is it safe to assume you remained close? I mean, it seems like, like, especially being brothers and being twins is sort of a, right, that's an extra layer of, you can't escape me. Yeah. Yeah, we've, oh, we've, yeah. Always, we've always been really tight and, and best friends and, um, you, uh, you know, uh, each other's memories and, and uh, we've always always respected each other, um, and you know we still we still do. Um, when we parted ways there in the mid '90s, I moved to New York for a few years, so we were physically together. Um, so that was a time that uh, we were um, separated, uh, but. Uh, yeah, we, we, um, we hang out, uh, we play tennis together. Um, I love hanging around Harry, my nephew and Andy's wife, Jane. Um, so it's a good thing. It's a good, really good relationship. It's not like the Gallagher's. <laughs> I mean, that must be interesting if you do observe, I, you know, I like Oasis a lot. I'd love them to get together again, but I don't care anymore. I just want those brothers to kind of just be friends again. Yeah. <laughs> well, that seemed to be the whole, the whole like shtick, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, sh I'm sure it's real, but it was just, there's a, there's an element of that band that they were just sort of pissed off and snarling anyway. So yeah, um, that's kind of what made them great and cool and, and, and interesting. And, you know, the, you're saying fuck you to, to, to the world um but yeah i mean yeah that that 
I think the fact that we are twins maybe made us put us in a slightly different category because we do have this like kind of unbelievable connection. Although we, you know, I think we've strived in our lives to be as individual as we can. There's there's sort of this undeniable undeniable sort of psychic um, uh, thread, you know, that we we can call each other up and uh, really understand. We, you know, we we've talked each other. Each of us have talked the other one off the ledge many times, you know, because we know where all the bodies are buried, and we know, uh, you know, where the the whole family dynamic and the family history, and um, we're I think we're we've learned to be more and more sort of compassionate with each other and helpful with each other, and it's great to grow up alongside somebody and 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 you know, have, have a best friend, you know, who's your, who's your twin. Uh, you know, my mother was also a twin mm. and, um, they, they were very close, but, but in a, in a bit of a different way where they, they didn't really sort of strike out on their own. And although my mother obviously got married and had us and, but, but her sister, um, who I love dearly. Unfortunately, she she passed away. Um, they they were they were so close and and lived together even when you know she my aunt Marcia lived with us. Um, so in some ways, that was sort of a cautionary tale about being too close, you know. And we, uh, I think that our closeness is is. Um, it's it's always there at a distance, but I can't imagine that either one of us would want to live together. You know, <laughs> maybe I'm giving too much information out here. <laughs> It'd be a good premise for a sitcom. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh Lord. Um, I you know I just yeah I think you guys are really lucky to have each other, and I think it's very cool. And I also think that you know to sort of have lived a life and then to return to the band um, and the plan is to have no plan. Um, it just makes me feel very hopeful about, about what will come out of that relationship, that new sort of, you know, Williams Brothers 2.0. Um, what, 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 what it will yield is very exciting to me. I'm just, I'm really, I'm glad you guys are back. Oh, oh thank, thank you so, so much. much. It's actually Williams Brothers 3.0, but thank you. Right, it, right, because of the, <laughs> that's right, 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> the, uh, the hat yeah. trick of iterations is, uh, yeah. I think F. Scott Fitzgerald said that, that in life, uh, you never get a second act. You guys have had a third now. This is great. Yeah, exactly. You've proven, you've proven yeah. him wrong. You guys, so great. I love the record. And I, love, I love what you're doing. And I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you because when I first got into you, I was probably about 16 when I got the first record. And mm. I just listened to it nonstop. And I just, I just, wow. um, I'm so happy to, to chat with you guys. And, and I hope you'll come back on the show. We'd love to. Well, thank you. Alex, thanks. It's been really fun.
was fun. The Williams Brothers, what a great chat. Great guys. And uh, the new album, Memories to Burn, it's a timeless classic. I don't throw the word timeless around very much or classic. I'm throwing them both around together, which means I'm not messing around. Regionalrecords.com or go to Facebook, uh, Regional Records on that apparatus. Are they on Twitter? Well, I don't know. But we're trying not to talk about Twitter these days. So just go to regionalrecords.com or find them on Facebook and order Memories to Burn by the Williams Brothers. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. In 2023, there will be a new book. So get ready uh, for some shameless promotion uh, about that upcoming project. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or email me editor at Stereo Embers Magazine. Dot com. Don't forget to check out bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And just like I do every week, I have to mention that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends. Even tell people that aren't your friends. We've got to spread the word, and that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> one stranger at a time. Uh, let's close the show with a longer listen. To Tears Only Run One Way by the Williams Brothers. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Four walls, two hands, and one sad heart don't make a man much company. Well, that's all she left me. My friend. I should find a new direction and forget these blues, but I don't even have to choose. Tears only run one way, never back the way they came. Tears only run one way, and that's down, down, down. Our Yeah, we ran cold 